There are many lines that we walk as disciples of Jesus. Well, it's not nearly as perilous as we make it out to be, but sometimes we do have to be especially careful not to veer too far to one side or the other. One such line can be found in how comfortable we are serving God. This week on Where There's Hope, we will discuss how to be confident, not casual. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. In any relationship, there's a level of comfort. Naturally, the more confident we are in the relationship, the more willing we are to let our guard down. So, John, what's an example of a relationship in which you are very comfortable? Um... Well, I would say our relationship, but also marriage, and we're not married. Yeah, let's clear that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that got weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, marriage, that's the answer. <laughs> I'm totally leaving that in there. All right. Yeah, I, the marriage was the first thing that came to my mind. Sorry, I didn't think about us. Um, but <laughs> my wife tells me all the time I'm too honest with her, and she doesn't mean that she wants me to lie to her or to hide things from her, but I think sometimes she'd like for me to not be quite so candid. I tell her a lot of things that I ought to be embarrassed about, um, but I don't have much of a filter with her. And I have examples of that, and no, I'm not going to say them on the podcast. So what's the potential danger in being too comfortable in a relationship? You kind of let your guard down and maybe some things you don't point out that you should Mm -hmm. and some things you shouldn't point out you do. Yeah. Yeah. We get too casual. You know, we, we, like you say, we maybe fail to do the things we should do. We, we feel like we have much more liberty to say the things that maybe we should know better than to say. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. And another thing I think can happen is we can become very complacent. Um, you know, we, you think about that in a marriage, suddenly the person who deserves your best is getting some half-hearted effort because you just kind of take for granted that they're always going to be there. And, you know, a lot of times in marriages, that's why people end up not happy. It's because they've become too complacent and have stopped investing in their relationship. They, they tried hard when they were dating, and then once they won... And got married, they were Mm -hmm. done. Yeah, and we could go into a whole lot of marriage advice that we should not. (laughs) But, yeah, that's exactly right. You put forth this great effort to to win your spouse over. And then once you've won your spouse over, we we get a little easy on that. We take it it too easy. And I think the same thing can happen in our Christian relationships. And I'm sure there's lots of different ways that this can manifest. But I wanted to look at three different ones. I want us to consider our relationship with our church family, our worship, and our attitude about our sins. So let's start with the idea of the church family. The congregation that John and I attend, I began attending that congregation in 1997 when John was in grade school. And then in 2001, that's when you could say I was really an active member and John was still in grade school. I was in college. That's enough of that. (laughs) And back, last, back in olden times. <laughs> back, back when I hitched up the horse and buggy and went to church. They hadn't invented the iPhone yet, right? No, they had not. They had not. Thanks, John. <laughs> over the last over the last twenty years or so, 
our church has grown and changed a lot, and I've grown and changed a lot with it. Uh, and, you know, we're not a large church, but we're not small. We have about 300 members, and I'm not super close with every one of those members. So when you have a church family like that and you get comfortable with it, what are some of the pitfalls that occur with you being comfortable with your church family? The same that happened with your marriage. Um, you point out things you shouldn't, and you don't point out things that you really should. That's a very good point. That's how churches get weak. Yeah. You know, it, you think of the proverb that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, you know, we, we're, we have a duty to one another to make each other better. Uh, and sometimes we don't want to do that. We don't want to upset, upset the status quo. And we really need to. We need to be, oh, the right word is agitate, but we need to agitate each other because we're stirring each other up to good works. So agitate mm-hmm. does work, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there are some other things that can happen too. Uh, you know, sometimes we can get apathetic. You said sometimes we don't say the things that we should. We start taking those relationships for granted. And, you know, it, we've had some issues going on in our church recently that have caused some people to feel like they need to leave. And so we've lost families, um, and that has really hurt. And there's a couple reasons for that, um, the reasons for it to hurt. One is that we're losing people we care about, and they mean a lot to our family. Um, they provide things, did things for us that are irreplaceable, and that's, that's sad to see that happen. And the second, for me, and I don't know, John, if you feel the same way, but you, you start to realize that maybe you didn't invest in, as much in those relationships as maybe you should have. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, makes you look at that and think, how can I do better going forward? And it makes you sad at the loss. There are a couple of verses, I think, that speak to this too. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then Paul again this time in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. John, what do you think these verses teach us about the relationships within the church family? Well, for one, we're a family. Uh, I like Romans 12.10. I like that you brought that up, how he talks about outdoing one another. It's not just that you do it for someone else, but it's that um, you're consistently doing it for each other and they're doing it for you too. So it's uh, this back and forth that you see. And like 1 Timothy 5 one just makes me think of family, family structure, like listen to older men and... um, Treat them as your fathers, and yeah. Yeah, all of those analogies he uses there, he, he, and he uses the analogy of family members, you know, as, as a father, as a brother, as a mother, as a sister. Uh, because that, that's what he, that's what Paul intends and what he's writing, and that's what God intends and how he has set everything up. The Romans 12.10 passage makes me think of an old adage I heard about marriage that said, Marriage should never be 50-50. It should be 100-100. Mm-hmm. That ever, both people are giving their best effort mm-hmm. all the time. And that's idealistic. I mean, obviously, you're not going to give 100% all the time. That's not realistic. But 
you still have a, a diligent effort in serving one another and loving one another. So if we realize that maybe we're not doing that as well as we should, and we've gotten very and we've gotten very confident in our church family, and we and we rely on them, we take them for granted. What are some things that Christians can do then to improve our relationships with our church families? Um, I think a big thing is fellowship, getting each getting inside each other's homes, getting to know each other, sitting down and having a meal together, mm-hmm. and just talking about life and it, sharing your life with each other. That's the big big thing I don't what do you think I think that's a really big one uh, it's always amazed me how sharing a meal is such an intimate thing you know nothing I think brings you together with people like sharing a meal and I, I don't know what it is about God's design that makes it that way but I love it because I like food and I like people so it works out well for me and to me what's cool is that you can have people who are not similar at all mm-hmm. but we're joined by the good news of Jesus Christ and like sharing a meal together, you can have great conversations and you won't feel awkward because you share that. And I'm thinking of specific um, things in my head. So anyway. And those conversations, you know, I mean, we can have very spiritual based conversations or just life based conversations. And what tends to happen is you knock down those walls of separation. You start realizing that we have an awful lot in common with people that we wouldn't expect that. And if nothing else, what we have in common is that we all serve the Lord. And that that makes it a special bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that helps. And it, it's, it's like any other relationship. The more you invest in it, the more that you will get out of it. And uh, you mentioned that with the time and the meal and inviting people into your home, all those things. Um, and I'm sure lots of other things. Good. Uh, the next thing I want to just think about is how we can be confident in our worship. Should we be confident in our worship, you think? I hope so. <clears throat> I agree. Yes. There's a, there's a passage in Hebrews that I wanted to look at concerning this. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then listen to this last sentence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. It is. It feels counterintuitive, I suppose, to think that we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence. But that's what the Hebrew writer says. So how do you do that? How do you approach the throne with confidence? I think first you have to have confidence in God and confidence in his message and confidence that confidence in your salvation. I think that's a big mm-hmm. part. And then once you get there, if you're not confident in what you're doing, you need to study and you need to get there. What I love in what you said is you didn't say confidence in yourself. It's confidence in who you're worshiping, you know, who God is, confidence in what he has told us, you know, that he wants from us, he desires in his worship. And then, like you said, confidence that we're 
we're doing it right. And if we're not, then there's there's media, there's remediation for that. We just pick up God's word, study it, see what we need to be doing differently. So we can have confidence, and then let's see how that could turn. John, can you name the five acts of worship? Yes. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> now, follow-up question. What's the reason some Christians give for not observing the Lord's Supper every week? Uh, it's become too routine. They, they don't think deeply enough about it. And I use those two things as examples because I think they, they illustrate pretty well that we don't have to think very hard about how worship can become casual and complacent because we know the routine, right? We do the same things every week. We do them in the same order every week, probably, and we do them with the same people every week. And so it can become very routine. And so that's good in the sense that we can have confidence in it. You know, it, it's, there's a lot of confidence and comfort in routines. But when we do that, we run that risk of becoming complacent, of becoming too casual. So what can we do to keep that from happening? Um, because complacency is something that takes place in your heart. Mm-hmm. It's not something like, we could do it every which way and try and make it more exciting um, to keep you awake, but if you're not engaged, then that's not that's not a problem of the material. Yeah, it's a problem of your heart. So I'd say you need to engage your heart. Um, come ready to worship, and yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. You know, engaging your heart. To me, I, I think about considering what I'm thankful for. Because part of my worship is my gratitude toward God. So you might be taking time to consider what I'm thankful for. Um, Taking time to consider who God is and why he is worthy of worship. Uh, And there's lots of different things. But I I think the key that you hit on there is that it's a heart issue. And we could mix it up. We could do lots of different things and that may keep you entertained. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your heart's engaged in worship. It may not be the same thing just means you don't know what's coming next so you're sitting on the edge of your seat for that reason but yeah it's like you said doesn't mean you're paying attention yeah so the third thing i want us to consider is how we could be confident and not casual about grace and our sins and john it was your dad's comment in a bible class recently at church that made me think of this as he was talking about how sometimes in public prayers we'll throw in this phrase father forgive us for our many sins and it becomes so routine, and we throw it in kind of at the end. You know, we've talked about all the things we need to talk about. Oh, and by the way, forgive us of our sins, because that's what you do. Thanks. You know, thumbs up in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. So I was thinking about it after your dad said that, and I was thinking, did you ever, have you ever heard your parents say anything like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed? I know I've said it to my kids but um, yeah, yeah, there were probably times um, throughout my childhood that they said that I can't think of a specific instance or even if they didn't say but, it like sometimes you just know it oh yeah for sure it. yeah for sure there were times I knew that they were more disappointed than anything I okay I, I'm thinking of one now yeah um, yeah 
Are we going to share the details no, of that? No, okay, no, no, no. I just no, want to no. make sure. It's going to leave you space if you want to go there. No. I just did something really stupid, and I was old enough to know better. And, um, you know, I'm sure they were mad at one point, but it was weeks before they were really... I felt like I had gained any kind of confidence with them again. So, anyway. I don't know why it is exactly that it hurts so much worse to know that we've disappointed our parents. I think maybe it's because anger is like the emotional response. And so that can be almost dismissed by us intellectually. But that disappointment, that's not the emotion. Like, that's the rational part of it. It's candid and it's honest and it just cuts you right to the bone. And I thought, you know, that's the same sort of conviction that some of us felt when we decided to become Christians. We had thought about our sin. We realized we had disappointed God and we had let him down. And we just felt like we had to do something about that. And so that's what we did. Are Christians forgiven of all their sins? Absolutely, yes. You had a pause there and I thought you were going to say no. And I thought this is really going to go off the rails if we don't agree about this. <laughs> Yeah, we are. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verse 11 uh, through verse 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, often repeating, repeatedly. Uh, Offering repeatedly. Yeah, thanks. Let's just start that over. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, of the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So there's no more work for Jesus to do in forgiving our sins. It's done. And so for us, we need to recognize that all of our sins are forgiven. So there's nothing left there for us to, to be concerned about. And that should give us great confidence. And um, you, know, you, you and your family recently hosted our youth devotional series at our church. And that was one of the lessons we were teaching them this time is the idea of that you can have confidence in God's grace. That you don't have to walk around on eggshells. Um, that salvation is much more secure than that. And so we want the kids to know that. But then there's danger in being too confident mm -hmm. because then what do you think about your sins? You can do whatever you want. Yeah, which seems yeah. problematic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then what are some things we need to keep in mind regarding our sins to keep us from becoming ca too casual about sin? Um, they, weren't, they weren't forgiven for free. There was a cost to it. Yeah, I, that's... To me, that's one of the more poignant things for us to consider. Um, whether you're particularly good at visualizing what Jesus had to go through or just thinking about it, conceptualizing it, whatever the case may be. Romans 5, uh, 6 through 7 reminds us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one scarcely will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, that reminder of the, of the great cost. 
And another thing I thought about is the same sort of thing that I was talking about with the disappointment of your parents is the effect on the Father, my God the Father. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't know that we think that much about the, the emotional toll that we may inflict on God by being rebellious to him. Have you ever thought about that, and has that affected you? Um, never thought about me thinking about it. <laughs> now I'm thinking about me thinking about it. Um, I'm, I, I, I know I have thought that in the past. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I don't know that I've done, I've spent a great deal of time thinking about it, and I think I say that's in my shame, because I think it would be, it would be very motivating for me to, to spend time meditating on the idea of how I can affect God emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this verse speaks to that. I don't think we, like, we tend to give ourselves enough credit that's the right way to say it, to think that we can do that. We think God's too big. You know, God's too big. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Surely we can't upset him, but that's not what Paul says. So maybe we can. and Maybe we do need to spend more time thinking about that. Anything else you want to add? Mm-hmm. So to close, I want to remind us that God's grace gives us every reason to be confident. And our church families may give us every reason to feel comfortable The routines of our worship may give us every reason to feel confident that we're worshiping God in truth, but we must be ever mindful that we're dealing with eternal matters that deserve our very best efforts. When we can do that, we can walk with Christ in confidence. Thank you for joining us Where There Is Hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.